Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks to David for leading us so far in our service of worship uh, this morning. But we turn now to these words in Ephesians and chapter, uh, chapter 6, and this morning we're going to look at verses 5 through to 9. And in the United States, Ellen DeGeneres is a very popular TV chat show host, and she is incredibly uh, popular amongst uh, those who follow the celebrity culture, and particularly young ladies, is her largest audience demographic. And while many of you might know her for many different reasons, but she is a very vocal advocate for liberalism as well. And while Ellen was earning about $77 million a year for her chat show alone, she is wealthy and extremely popular. But there had been rumors in the past that well, maybe not all was rosy with the staff on the show. Complaints were made, but simply just put down as disgruntled employees. But last month, in July, things started to change. Because staff within the show, well, they, they tell us that Alan is not as charming or as welcoming or as charismatic as many viewers might think. Stories include widespread bullying, playing favorites, discrimination, and of course that's a huge thing in the States at the moment, dehumanizing others who are not at her level, i.e. not a celebrity, and well, one of the most ridiculous things is she, no one is allowed to look her in the eye, and crew members are allegedly expected to turn their backs on her whenever she walks past them, from the totally ridiculous to pointed hatred, a boss I certainly wouldn't fancy working for. And Paul, now in Ephesians, he turns to the workplace relationships. And this working relationship he refers to as masters and slaves. In the Roman Empire, in cities like Ephesus, possibly one in three people were slaves. So population of Ephesus is a quarter of a million. There could have been around 80,000 slaves. And it was an accepted part of the Roman world economy and life. No one really questioned whether it was legitimate or not. And those slaves would have been horribly mistreated, abused, and sometimes killed. They did not just do the menial labor tasks, but often they were in places overseeing work. That they would have been maybe in management professions. They would have been working under their master, but they would have been fairly influential in the workplace. And what Paul wants slaves and masters to understand is that even in their relationship between master and slave, slave and master, they can serve Jesus. Slaves might be converted to Christ, but serve an ungodly master, or masters might have faith in Jesus, and while they should be treating their slaves differently, and I think it's helpful for us to remember the verse that frames this portion of Scripture from Ephesians 5, 21 through to Ephesians 6, 9. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the submission and sacrifice principle is clear within marriages and homes, and now it is applied to slaves and masters. Now, we cannot say that we are slaves in our workplace 
But there are principles in which we can take from what Paul writes and apply them for us today in the workplace, at home, and even in school as pupils. It's what Paul wants us to understand is something that sometimes we do. Sometimes we are tempted to separate our faith from work. And Paul says, no, we are to be serving the Lord in the workplace, in school. And as David has highlighted even at the beginning, to be a useful exercise to, to circle or underline every time there's in the Lord or in Christ. Well, the emphasis of serving the Lord is very clear in these verses, isn't it? Just cast your eye down very quickly with me. Verse 5, as you obey Christ. Uh, verse 6, be, uh, but like slaves of Christ. Verse 7, as if you are serving the Lord. Uh, verse 8, know that the Lord will. Uh, uh, and then verse 9, that uh, he says, Paul writes, treat your slaves in the same way, referring back to the in the Lord, obey as in the Lord. So clearly it is saturated in serving Jesus. So we're just very simply going to look at slaves and masters. Today we're going to call them workers and bosses. So let us firstly begin with serving God as workers. And work has changed so much for so many of you over the last six months. Some of you have been on furlough and know the frustration there is in that. Others have not stopped. You've had to maybe adapt and set up a workstation at home and grow frustrated with the lack of internet signal at times. But whether you're back in the classroom or back in the office or mostly working from home for the foreseeable future, Paul tells us we can serve God in our place of work. Now, maybe you think that you really can only serve God as a worker if you are working directly for him, as it were, in certain jobs like minister or a youth worker, or whenever you volunteer in church activities, or whenever someone goes off to be a missionary or, or uh, teach in a training college. But Paul says you can serve as workers, whether you are a teacher, a farmer, a lorry driver, a stay-at-home mum, or a pupil. We can serve Jesus in all those capacities. Well, how can we do that? How can we serve God as workers? Well, firstly, as in our approach to work, in our approach to work. In our work, we should be doing it with fear and respect. You see that? Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And it's linked right back to verse 21 of chapter 5, that we, out of reverence for Christ, so we work out of reverence for Christ. That is our approach to work. We work with sincere hearts. We obey respectfully. And many approaches, people have different approaches to work, to just seeing it as a, a dead-end job, to having no joy in it, no life in it, complaining all the time. Well, our approach to work is much different than that because we work out of a reverence for Jesus. And Paul, look what Paul says in, in verse 6, that he, he, he sees the workplace. He knows what goes on, doesn't he? He says that some obey not or to win favor when their eye is on them. 
some people only work whenever the boss is watching. Well, our approach to work isn't like that. As Christians, we don't only work when eyes are watching. We don't only work to be a people pleaser. We work differently. Because while Jesus is our boss, Jesus is the the master. Because would you work differently if Jesus was your boss right before you? Do you wait at work and see if someone watching you before you perform, as it were? What could you do differently to be a better worker and serve Christ in the workplace? Because Paul tells us that Christians should obey their employers as they obey Jesus. Christian workers should be the best workers because, well, Christian workers work as if they are working for Jesus. As workers, we are to be honest and committed to our work from the heart, sincerely, not simply going through the motions day by day, not just doing the bare minimum, but with sincere hearts, although we were working for Jesus, because we are, we have to approach our work as if we are working for Jesus. And we approach our work with sincere hearts, but then in verse 7, we also serve wholeheartedly, as if we were serving the Lord. Our approach is wholehearted, regardless of task. So think of your job or school. Can you think of the, the worst task possible? Maybe a job that needs done, and it's really hard to get yourself motivated to go and do it. It's hard to do difficult tasks, boring tasks, thankless tasks, wholeheartedly. But yet, that is what Paul instructs. Do everything wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord because you are. So the next time that moment comes, <laughs> tomorrow, remember Jesus. Remember to be serving the Lord because you are. No matter the task. Paul in Corinthians, he, he, he writes that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And that's even work, even those thankless tasks, we can serve the Lord wholeheartedly in those. So we must obey our boss, supervisor, employer, teacher, whatever it might be, as if we were obeying Jesus. Our attitude is to be one of respect towards our boss. Christians are to be model, model employees and students, and maybe model stay-at-home moms or model retirees. Because our approach to work in whatever capacity, from volunteering to looking after our children, is different. So we have our approach to work because we are reverent to Jesus, because we are working for Jesus. And then we have our motivation to work. Our motivation to work. You will hear from time to time at the end of the financial year, often. large companies on the stock market giving their annual report and the boss or one of the CEOs will have a large bonus to collect and sometimes they are fraught with difficulties because maybe they're performance related and people don't think that business has performed as well as it should have done yet the CEO gathers all the money and 
maybe for some people, that is the motivation to get them to work harder. There are footballers or her strikers who are supposed to score the goals in the team, and part of their wage is, well, a goal bonus. You might think, well, why would that give them extra motivation? That's the job they're supposed to be doing. And those are extreme examples, but what is our motivation to work? For some of us, it is to have the car or to have that holiday. But what does Paul say our motivation to work should be? Well, he's already said that we don't want to win favor with our boss, but we want to serve Jesus as Christians. See, whenever Christians work, it should be the same whether the boss is present or not. In verse 6, we'll just read it. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Obey them only to win their favor. Do not do that. Personal advancement should not motivate us in work. When the boss is watching you, it shouldn't just motivate you to work there and then. You just don't, aren't motivated to work because you want to impress someone. Why? Well, verse 8 tells us that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. See, our motivation for work should not be the money. It should not be the nice things that we can get with that money. It's not promotion or some sort of recognition that we can earn at our work. But it's the Lord's reward. Our motivation is Jesus. Because with all your hard work, you can be overlooked by the boss, can't you? Some days you work really hard and you feel as though there's nothing to show for it. Some days are good too. But you might be constantly worried about how it looks you are working, related maybe to your performance. But Paul really comforts us here and says there's a reward for us in Jesus. A secure reward based on his work, not ours. There's great comfort in knowing this. Because Paul in Ephesians has introduced us in chapter 2 to these eternal, incomparable riches of God's grace. And then I was in verse 7, then just a couple of verses later in chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul tells us that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. Those good works prepared for us can be work and is our work. What more rewarding thing is there for the Christian not to get an extra thank you or a promotion or a bonus? There's no more rewarding thing than hearing the words of Master Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servant. For Jesus is this all-knowing master, a master who does not ridicule us. Jesus does not bully us or belittle us. Jesus is always fair and just and rewards justly. And he is the master that we must pour our lives out in service. We are to be servants of Christ rather than slaves of this world. The world might offer riches and enjoyment now, but Christ offers these eternal, incomparable riches to his servants.
we can serve God, we can serve Jesus as workers. Who can? Well, everybody can. It's not just the select few of the minister and missionaries. Yes, you, you would have served Jesus whenever you came in to partake in some of the church activities that we have. And you're right, you would have been serving Jesus in those moments. But it's very easy for us to fall into that trap of thinking, that is service. That is serving Jesus. Going to Sunday school or BB or PW. Those are my moments when I serve Jesus. Paul says, we can serve Jesus wherever we are. In our work, where God has placed you, you serve him. We cannot separate our faith from our work. We just don't serve Jesus in church stuff. We serve Jesus at work. How do we do that? Well, it's our different approach. It's our different motivation towards our work. Because as Christians, we will stand out in the workplace. Because we, we should not grumble at small, seemingly insignificant tasks. As Christian workers, you do not uh, hold back your best work only whenever eyes are on you. As Christian ladies, often at home, you don't grumble and complain about the work you've done at home and looking after your house and your children. You can serve Jesus with a faithful heart in those tasks. Yes, it might be hard. You might be tired. You might feel it's yesterday repeated. But being faithful to Jesus is serving Jesus. You can serve Jesus whenever you volunteer and meet up with friends. Because you do not shut the world out. You are different in your approach and different in your motivation. For our teenagers and young people, you do not switch off in school whenever you have a certain subject. English, maybe. You find it really boring or you don't like the teacher. It's really hard not to switch off. But, well, we're, we shouldn't. We should be thinking of our attitude and our approach and our motivation because being switched on, being clued in, working hard and diligently is a good witness for those who do not know Jesus. We serve Jesus as workers in many different ways. So secondly, we have serving God as the boss. Whenever Paul writes, he gives these instructions to masters, and in the context, they are incredibly countercultural. So whenever I, I mention boss, it can be supervisors or teachers or somebody who has a responsibility over others. And while Paul says, no matter who you are, whether you are a worker or a boss, you can serve Jesus. And we have spent a lot of time looking at workers and bosses or masters. If you weren't listening, you need to go back and listen to it again. Because while Paul starts off saying, you too, to the master, he says, treat your slaves in the same way. You have to be treated in the same way. We are all equal in Jesus. Yes, we might have different personalities or worldly status or reputation, but as Christians, 
we are all equal with each other. So bosses, you have to treat work the same way. Your approach to work is the same, to serve Jesus. Your motivation for work is the same. It is that reward from Christ. Masters are to do the exact same as slaves. They are to work from a love in their hearts that is sincere and wholehearted and doing the will of God from their hearts. Because bosses and workers or slaves and masters are all accountable to the same person. See, God will not reward businesses on your business model, but your work as Christ's servants. Of course, it's really challenging as the boss, isn't it? For a number of different reasons. Maybe there is slackers that you find hard to get work out of. Sometimes, there, more often than not, there are difficult people to work with. Or even maybe there's a touch of resentment because you are promoted instead of others and now you're overseeing others. And it's hard to get the balance between being gracious on the one hand, but at the same time not being a doormat. But what is the boss to do? Well, he, has, he or she has an authority to warn others for the consequences of their actions, but also showing grace to them, not disrespecting them, or treating them lesser than you, like Alan DeGeneres, maybe. But bosses are to be encouragers, model workers as well, leading by example, setting the high standards and endeavor to serve Jesus. There maybe have been times you've been totally exasperated by a worker, and it can be easy to react and conduct yourself in a way that does not give glory to God. It can be tempting to use methods to get others to work. And well, Paul warns leaders and bosses to not threaten. He says, do not threaten, in verse 9. It appears to be the case that the slaves were regularly threatened. Maybe they were threatened with imprisonment or to be sold to a worse boss. Just the threat of that would maybe make them work that little bit harder or better. Paul instructs the masters to not threaten. And well, I, I think it is obvious for us that, well, beating our workers is out of the question. But you aren't to deal unkindly to them. You aren't to be unchristianly, as it were, towards your workers. The masters are to be different in their conduct. Instead of coercion and threats, they are to be gracious and remember Jesus. You aren't to threaten them with words or a look. You've maybe been on the receiving end of a, a look from someone. But bosses aren't deliberately meant to have a wrong attitude towards their workers or to deliberately keep putting them down and down, constantly condescending and reminding them who's boss. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says about the leaders at the time that they lorded over others. They used their power for their good and their own desires. Well, as bosses, we don't lord it over others. But we, you, are leading for their good and, well, for Christ's glory. 
bosses will not threaten their employees unjustly. They will not intimidate or take advantage of employees. Bosses, bosses will lead and they will use their authority well and for good. Paul also wants us to remember your master. Paul reminds us all, in Jesus we are all equal. All of us have the same heavenly master. And with Jesus there are no favorites, but brothers and sisters. We are all accountable to him. This is where we bring in verse 8 again. The Lord will reward for whatever good he does, slave or free, all of us must remember Jesus is the master. We are accountable to him for our actions and we must come under his lordship because Jesus is the greatest master there could be, a master that gently rebukes and corrects through his word, a master that encourages us through his word, a master that does not belittle or bully or act unkindly towards us, a loving master who warns us of judgment, a master who is always fair and just, a master who does not hold us away because of our stench of sin, but actually draws us near. Because Jesus is a master who tenderly cares for his people. And of course, Jesus is a giving master, isn't he? Because he came not to be served, like a master but to serve Jesus is both a master and a servant Jesus the perfect master would see our struggle he sees the burden of the sin in our lives he sees that we are enslaved to it but he doesn't shout at us and tell us to work harder or to say how bad we are no he sees the problem of our sin and he doesn't add to it but he alleviates the sin from us for the master would be the suffering servant that Jesus yes he would suffer at the hands of Rome as it were beaten and mocked but he took God's wrath for us for it is us who made him suffer what an ugly ugly task for Jesus to be hung on a tree, totally humiliated for you? Was there ever a work that was so difficult or so painful, yet so glorious? The job, it is done, it is finished, was Jesus cry. The perfect master, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, takes the shame of the cross and pays the ransom for us sinners with all of what Christ has done being both this perfect master and sacrificial servant he gives us a reward so surely we'll be able to serve Jesus in any capacity all of the time even in the most dreary job and the most dreary day we can pour out our hearts in service to him because well he poured out his blood for our sin and his spirit is poured out on us let us grasp the love of Jesus, that secure redemption that we have in him, and be devoted in our daily lives to him. 
what Paul has been saying is very clear throughout. We can serve Jesus in our marriages. We can serve Jesus in our homes, in our relationships between parents and children. And we can serve Jesus in our work. Really, we can serve Jesus in every part of our life. Serving Jesus is not just reserved for whenever you are involved in church activity. The reality is we serve Jesus all through the week. When we are called to submit, we can submit. When we are called to lead sacrificially, we can do that too. We can be pleasing to Christ and serve Christ. Wherever you are, wherever you work tomorrow morning, or whenever you're at home, you can serve Jesus as you run your shop, or run a business, or work in those places. You can serve Jesus seated in the classroom, looking up at your teacher in the visor, or if you are behind the visor, you can serve Jesus as you teach. You can serve Jesus in the fields or when you're driving the tractor or going to and from people's houses. You can serve Jesus in the office, whether it's your office at home or in the premises where you normally work. You can serve Jesus in the hospital. You can serve Jesus in your homes. Maybe you work, don't work or have no work or retired. We can all serve Jesus. Because the principle is to live for Christ and serve Christ. Many of us have opportunities to serve or speak with others to encourage them. And in that you can serve Jesus wholeheartedly. Paul gives these examples. And well, they're everyday examples, aren't they? Every day we can serve Jesus. Even in the most boring mundane task that often would go unnoticed, we serve to please Jesus, not man, for Jesus is our master. Jesus is our perfect servant. He is our perfect master. So let us give our lives in service to him, working and serving Jesus.